All right, back on the Young Turks. So we're gonna start the conversation here. But we wanna let you guys know if you want more presidential candidates on the Young Turks, that's fantastic. We're about to have our seventh one here in a second. But because of you guys, we asked for Pete Buttigieg a long time ago. You guys were onto it, of course. Uh, early on, we're asking for Mike Ravel because a lot of you have ha- have asked for them. And if you have other suggestions, rebelhq at tyt.com is how you would uh, talk to us, rebelhq at tyt.com. But also, this is important, reach out to them, to their uh, you know, Twitter, social media, Facebook, etc. And say, hey, Mayor Pete, why don't you go on the Young Turks? That's a good question. There's a lot of people who've come on here, including... Um, some of the top candidates, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Tulsi Gabbard, etc. So it's curious why others wouldn't want to come on, right? If they want to address a progressive audience. Now, someone who's not making that mistake is here with us in the studio. Joining me now is Wayne Messam, and he is mayor of Miramar, Florida. And Wayne, you're running for president. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, so amazing. Okay, so I would say small town. Uh, in America, you're mayor of, uh, but it seems like we got past that because of Mayor Pete uh, now polling at third. So, uh, is uh, do you feel like you got just as good a chance as anybody else? Well, you know, well, my city, Miramar, Florida, is a medium-sized city. We're actually the 13th largest city in the state of Florida, approaching 150,000. Very culturally diverse um, community where I have the honor to be the mayor um, there. So, um, but when you think about the, where this country is right now. Um, the, the nation is looking for a fresh voice, new voice, a champion for the issues. Um, being the son of immigrants, my parents are from Jamaica. Uh, my father was a contract sugarcane cutter for many years, um, working for as little as 75 cents per row of sugarcane, just to come here to this country to chase wow. the American dream. You know, and I'm living that American dream. Um, went to Florida State. Played football for Coach Bobby Bowden. I was on a national championship team. Actually had a shot at the NFL. My NFL career was cut short. My wife and I, we started a construction management business. So I actually know how to make payroll. And then had an opportunity to be in elected office to give back to the community and now have the Awesome opportunity and pleasure to be the mayor of Miramar, Florida, where we're solving a lot of progressive issues. You know, we're, our business climate is great. We're one of the fastest growing economies in the country, um, bringing in jobs left and right in our city. Um, we're fighting um, the NRA in terms of I sued the state of Florida, along with a couple other mayors, um, so that we can have the opportunity to voice gun safety and control in our cities. Uh, we're fighting oil drilling. That's uh, permit application is going on right now in our city and in the Everglades to drill oil in the Everglades, threatening our drinking water supply, impacting over eight million people. So, Mayor Wayne, um, it, so first of all, Miramar bigger than South Bend, correct? Yes. Does that, by, by definition, make you better than Mayor Pete? Well, the thing is what the American people have to decide is what they're looking for in leadership. And I think the American people, they know that mayors, we get the job done. And when you talk about the successes in Miramar, you know, I passed the living wage in our city. We banned the box in the city of Miramar because we feel that if you want to work for our city that, you know, sometimes people make mistakes and they shouldn't, their initial review of their qualifications, you know, and a pass arrest should not impede them from being able to get back into society, you know. So um, we're we're solving a lot of progressive issues. And I think uh, American people are looking for leadership to solve their issues so that their families can prosper. And those answers aren't coming from Washington. 
So I wanna talk about some of your policy proposals in a second because they're bold, including the one on student debt. You, you yes. might be the arguably the most progressive in the race on that issue. And, and that's a hell of a thing because there's now what, 18 people in yes. <laughs> roughly speaking, right? And so it's hard to be the most progressive on any issue, especially given where the Democratic Party is going, thankfully, mm -hmm. if you ask me. Uh, but before we get to that, so of course, let's just go through the standard stuff. Mm -hmm. People are gonna say, why run for president? I mean, you're mayor, sure, okay, Mayor Pete's doing it too, but you know, 150,000 person city, still a relatively small city in the context of the mm -hmm. country. You know, they would say, where, where do you get off trying to run for president? Well, you know, um, and I think back of my parents who came to this country to chase the American dream. Um, that idea, that whole promise is slipping away from the American people. When you have to work two and three jobs just to make ends meet, when you're told you have to go to college to get a decent wage job, but yet if you're from a working class or a middle class family, you don't have the funds to pay for your tuition, then you graduate and you're, you're sacked with tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. You know, when mass shootings in our schools and crime and gun violence in our streets are now the norm, um, American people need need answers and need solutions so that they too can have a second chance at the American dream. So that's why I'm running. Now in terms of the, the urgency to solve these issues for the American people, Washington is broken because there's no political will to address gun violence. The NRA controls and has chilled Congress in terms of doing anything towards that. You have individuals who don't have access to health care. By the way, I feel that, that should, that's a civil right, that you should have access um, to health care. And you know, we should be able to have a meaningful job, you know, one job to take care of your family instead of having to work two and three. So those are basic elements in terms of achieving the American dream, and, and a lot of Americans aren't achieving that right now. So how's the mainstream press reacting so far to your run? Well, you know what is so interesting um, because I've been on Fox News three times, which is interesting because they don't know what to do with me. You know, right. I'm a business owner, you know, but yet I'm a, a mayor that passed the living wage in, in our city. Mm -hmm. So they don't know what box to put me in, but I'm not concerned about that. I've taken my you message banned the on, box, so it's you know, okay. Exactly. <laughs> All boxes. Well, see, the thing, though, is that I think in my candidacy, what people are seeing is that I'm an everyday guy that um, understands the challenges that Americans are going through. But I also understand and know what success is. You know, I've always, the odds have always been against me. Being from an immigrant family, going to Florida State University, winning a national championship, um, when folks said I could never get a football scholarship, to starting a business during the Great Recession, you know, and now to be a candidate for the President of the United States. Being up against the odds have been a way of life for me. And when I won mayor in the city of Miramar, I was told I was foolish for challenging a 20-year incumbent. Not only did I win, I also became the first black mayor of our very diverse city. So um, I'm up for the challenge, and I look forward to getting our message out to the American people. Yeah, and, and you know, people didn't believe I can get a college scholarship yeah. to play football either. And, and in that case, they turned out to be right. But still, <laughs> but still, things are possible in America. Yeah. And, and I love your story, and obviously, uh, as an immigrant myself, it it, yeah. uh, it it speaks to me. And as a former high school football player, honorable mention all counting, not a big deal. See, that's pretty um, good. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let's get to the policies. Yes. So, uh, student debt. What would you do with it? 
Well, there's $1.5 trillion in outstanding student loan debt that America, 44 Americans are dealing with right now. Um, it's, it's stifling our economy. It's preventing the upward mobility um, for American people, which means that they're paying an average of about $400 a month to pay for uh, student loans that are averaging about $30,000 after they graduate. You know, and, but guess who has to bear that burden? working class families and middle class families. Um, when you're told, when the society tells you, when corporations say you need a four-year degree um, to work for our company. Um, so you're, you basically know your best shot is to get a, a higher education, but then you have this debt that you have after you have, you've achieved it. So it's a lot of current students, recent graduates, mothers, fathers, grandparents that's footing this bill. I want to forgive that debt. But I want to do that as an economic stimulus. Because some, you know, the, the naysayers will say is, well, you know, that's, that's socialism, that's just paying off people's decisions to go to college and have to pay for it. But no, but when we wipe this out, our analysis states that it will add over $80 billion to $100 billion to the real GDP. It will create $1 million to $1.5 million in jobs. It'll free up $400 a month in payments where normal Americans can either buy a house, they can invest in their retirement, perhaps even start a business. Um, and we want to make sure that people have a second chance at the American dream and be able to, um, to, to, to get a great job. But I also see it as an economic security issue. Because if America is going to continue our dominance moving forward, to be competitive, to have a, a vibrant, qualified, and certified workforce for the business community, if that's a requirement and for us to be competitive globally, why are we sacking all of this burden on the American people? We're all in the same boat. So, look, I think that the student debt's an albatross around our neck. And it's an albatross not just for the well, now, not just students. Some people are still paying student debt out of their Social Security checks. That's how crazy it's gotten, yes. okay? Uh, and so I understand the value of all of that, uh, but where does the $1.5 trillion come from? Great question. Okay. Well, how we will pay for this is we will be repealing the Trump tax cut. It's oh, estimated okay. about $2 trillion that went to corporations and the richest of Americans. And they didn't give it completely back to the American people. Everyone saw the ceremonial $1,000 checks after it passed to people, to workers, and then slowly started laying off folks. And you know what? They started buying back their own stocks so yep. they can have more control of their corporations. Of course, the stock market responded to that and is doing great, but wages barely rose, and now people still have to work two and three jobs, they can't afford the basic necessities of life. So let me follow up on that, because look, if you said to me, what's gonna improve the economy more, the taxes that they pass for the rich and, and multinational corporations, or taking this albatross around off our neck, it's, it's a no-brainer, because of um, uh, the velocity of money and the fact that, that People who get the money would much more likely to immediately spend it than the rich who would save it. Yes. Uh, it helps the economy and it, and it helps much more Americans. I agree with all that. But first, let's acknowledge it. But then that takes the tax cuts off the table because that's what you're spending it on, right? Because there's a lot of different things that you could say. If you repeal the tax cuts, you could put it towards healthcare, you could put it towards infrastructure. And different candidates have different ideas of what to put it for. Mm -hmm. But you're prioritizing this one. You would yes. put it at, at this one as, as the top priority 
to use that money on? Well, obviously, there are many priorities that the American people need to, um, to, to better their lives and to, for them to reach that American dream. Um, but we have to make priorities. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not a zero-sum game. We can solve more than one problem at a time. I think that by going head-on against the student loan debt crisis, it's the second largest consumer debt, second only to housing. It's even $500 million more dollars than credit card debt. Most, most of the listening, your viewership will probably think that credit card debt is the highest consumer debt, but it's actually the second largest. And when you talk about that type of debt, and it seems like we've accepted this as a part of life. Everyone says, oh, my student loans are, you know, I almost qualified for a mortgage, but because of my $400 payment, my debt-to-income ratio didn't let me get that mortgage to buy my first home. So, Mayor Wayne, how about going forward? So what happens when, so even if you are for the college for all plan, and I don't know if you are, I'm curious about that. So you would be able to go to a public school, state school for free if you believe in college for all. But, but you wouldn't be able to go to the IVs or other schools, most of the schools are private. Mm-hmm. So what would happen to the new debt then? Mm-hmm. Because the Harvards of the world are still charging $75,000 a year, mm-hmm. etc. Well, obviously I do support debt-free college. I do support that. I'm saying that before we deal with that, let's take care of the one and a half trillion dollars that is our, that's on the streets right now burdening Americans. Um, obviously, we want to support programs, for example, as a federal government, we want to make sure that we are fully funding opportunities for grants like our Pell Grant system. We want to incentivize our states, like for example, um, states that have stepped forward and say that they want to provide um, free college for their state college systems. We want to incentivize that. You know, another thing too that you want to um, consider is that when you think about minority students, especially when you talk about HBCUs, some are state schools, are public schools, some are private. Uh, we know that these type of institutions um, have a stellar track record in educating black and black students and other students that attend those institutions. So we want to invest in those institutions and we're challenging those institutions to, to normalize their costs, to keep those costs down. But I think that you gotta have an intentional plan to first say that we're going to support higher education because as a nation, we value that. We need to have smart, certified, educated workforce so that America can continue its economic dominance so that we can ensure that our society can be employed as well as start businesses. Okay, so I've settled on calling you Mayor Wayne, because it's fun. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I'm gonna continue along those lines. So let's go to the second policy. Yes. Uh, So you have uh, bold proposals on on the issue of gun control. Yes. Uh, And what is that? If you were president, what would you do? Well, you know, I'll lean on my experience as mayor. Don't you know in the state of Florida, the NRA has such a grip on our state legislature that we have a state statute that if I as a mayor just place on our agenda for our commission meeting to discuss gun control. For example, let's say we want to ban assault style weapons in our parks. The governor of Florida can remove me from office, personally fine me $5,000, and our city would be exposed to unlimited lawsuits for anyone who felt that that action was against their Second Amendment right. So I sued the state of Florida along with uh, uh, other mayors so that we could remove that punitive damage because we believe that the American people in local communities should have a say in how to keep their community safe. I'm curious because that's such a weird law. Is it if you guys take action or if you even speak out? Just to speak. 
speak on it. First of all, state statutes, um, it, it preempts local governments from instituting gun control. But there are certain measures that we should be able to do. For example, not allow guns in our parks or in our community centers or in any of our arenas that we may own in our, in our cities. It seems like it's common sense, right? So as president, what I would do is implement just, just common sense reforms. Like, for example, banning assault-style weapons that were designed to annihilate life. It wasn't designed for hunting. It was designed to kill. Universal background checks, you know, Ensuring that individuals who actually should not have a gun don't have a gun. If you've been convicted of certain violent crimes, you shouldn't have it. If you have certain mental um, health issues, you should not have it. Or if you're in an active terrorist um, watch list, you should not have access to guns. It's little small things like that because what I will say is that when you think about incidents that, that have taken place in this country, Parkland is only 10 minutes away from our, uh, our city. Our police chief actually sent officers up there to help to respond. I was with my daughters at their high school when we started getting the notifications about that shooting. That is now becoming the norm. There are fourth grade and third grade classes right now having active shooter drills, hiding behind desks and closets. We as a nation, we're better than this. The incident that took place in New Zealand, that country in a matter of weeks took action against gun violence. In this country, Washington is afraid to even bring up a bill or a vote. We must do better and we can do better. And as president, my first four years will be my goal to reduce gun violence by 50%. And ultimately, by the end of my administration, to rid our streets and our communities of gun violence. Well, that's bold. Uh, so let, let's talk about uh, a little bit more detail on that in a second. But first, I just want to note the irony of the right wing saying that they're for free speech and then banning uh, speaking against guns in, in Florida, even for mayors and, and elected officials. They're not for free speech at all. It's preposterous. And the fact that they won't let you run your uh, city in the way that your community wants, whether it's banning guns from parks or stadiums, etc. It's just, again, outrageous. Are they making you uh, arm the teachers uh, or do you have a choice over that? There's a bill right now to arm teachers in our state legislature. I think it's an asinine event. Um, teachers should not be armed, um, not just for to protect the class in the event if there's a mass shooting, but we know, hey, listen, you'll probably have more incidents with teachers probably feeling threatened by a kid in the class. And what happens in that scenario? When a teacher uses a gun on a child because he or she feels that they're threatened. You know, and yep. chances are it's probably going to happen to perhaps a child of color. You know, mm. so there's other issues you have to think yep. about and contemplate as well. So um, I just think that our teachers should be the professionals who they are. We should be paying them more um, as as educators because they are preparing our next generation, our next leaders. Um, but to have Teachers carry weapons, I think, is the most terrible idea that I can think of. Has stand your ground been applied in a racist way in Florida? <sighs> well, when you think about all the, the cases that have come forward and 
folks that have gotten off because they've um, um, used stand-your-ground laws as a defense. It's a terrible bill. It's a terrible uh, piece of legislation. It's going across the country. It's not just in Florida. And um, I think um, when you think about these types of travesties in our, in our country, it just, shows, it just shows the chilling effect that the NRA has across this country. It's not only, they not only have a grip on Washington and putting on these types of bills to protect their industry, but they're going to local to states and local communities to get to make sure that ordinances and state statutes are creating an environment that everyone will have a gun to solve problems, that everyone will have a gun to protect themselves. That's what the actual element is. It's easy to point out stand your ground. It's easy to point out you know, um, gun shows that are in community and, and second amendment rights. But at the end of the day, it happens so that their gun sales can continue to grow and that we make it as easy as possible for any and everyone to have guns, and that should not be the case. So I just want to be super clear. You said ban assault weapons? Ban assault-style weapons in our communities. Okay, and then in order to get rid of it in eight years, you'd have to do a lot more gun control than that. Well, yes, well, obviously, uh, there's thoughts of perhaps buying the existing guns that are lawfully owned right now, the assault-style weapons that are owned, and have an aggressive enforcement process for those who don't want to give them up, and stopping the future sales of them. You know, it's, it's interesting to think that, you know, big industry is always resistant to change. You know, uh, I know I'm, a, I'm, I'm not that young, but I'm not that old as well. But in the 80s, remember the, the automobile industry, Yep. They fought and screamed when the thought of having seatbelts to be mandatory in their manufacturing of yep. cars. And look now, cars with the highest safety ratings with seatbelts are the ones that are selling the best. Yep. And Ralph Nader arguably saved millions of lives by insisting that uh, that, that be made into a law and yes. not just be voluntary. All right, uh, we're going to run out of time because we can't do all the topics. But I do, Medicare for All is a giant one. So, and, and so is... Um, uh, how you're funding your campaign. So let me try to hit those as quickly as I can. So are you taking corporate PAC money? I'm not taking any super PAC money. I'm not taking money from corporations, only from average everyday Americans. Um, we are collecting um, small dollar donations for the most part that's fueling our campaign. And as uh, we are going on shows like yourself, our individuals can go to wayneforamerica.com. If they like what they hear and like my candidacy, they can come and be a part of that growing number of Americans that are supporting Wayne for America. All right, so and he's, you got to get to sixty-five thousand uh, donations to make the debate. So yes, it's a long road, but look, arguably uh, on two issues, the most progressive stance I've heard so far, and everybody's more progressive on different issues, but on guns and on student debt, I have not yet heard a more progressive stance. So that's interesting. How about Medicare for all? Medicare for all. My my values is that I believe that. Um, healthcare is a civil right. I think everyone should have access to healthcare. Um, Medicare for all is getting a lot of a lot of attention right now, and I think that it's a reform idea that puts us on the pathway for that. Um, I really like, I think, what is very interesting, um, a, a proposal that is out on Medicare um, for Americans plan that is out there right now. Um, I think individuals who may like their current plan or their private plan right now should be able to keep it, and then for those who may fall outside of that, um, be able to to have Medicare to expand that, or if those may, if individuals are in a, a private plan and they want to go into the Medicare plan, that they be able to um, sign up and go into that medi, um, that 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 plan. Um, but at the end of the day. I feel that access to health care is a civil right. Um, we should definitely be on a pathway for reform to ensure that all Americans get access to it. So let me challenge you on that a little bit because 
the the problem with Medicare for America, and we just talked about it on the show before you came on, is that it keeps private insurance, which allows private insurance then to say, hey, look, I'm gonna make it less expensive and, and healthier people are gonna sign up for it because they don't need as good a coverage as Medicare for all would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then private insurance then goes around and says, look, we're cheaper, uh, but that's only because they had the government pick up the tab on all the people who have pre-existing conditions and are sick, etc. Yeah. And so that skews the playing field. Yeah. Are you concerned about that? Well, the thing is, obviously, in an ideal world, a single-payer system is best and should always be the goal for us to strive to. On the pathway to that goal, I can support reform that includes everyone, that would allow everyone who wants to stay in their current plan right now to stay and keep it, as well as for those who fall outside of coverage or want to go over to Medicare um, for all, that they'd be allowed to do that as well. Yes, all right, uh, that's all the time we have now. I yes. hope you'll come back. Uh, and so really interesting new candidate for president. Uh, Mayor Wayne Messam from Miramar, Florida. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, and everybody remember the website's wayneforamerica.com if you want to find out more or volunteer or donate. All right, thank Thank you. you. All right, uh, for the members, we'll be right back.